Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're going to be taking a look at Borat, subsequent movie film, uh, the new Borat movie on Amazon Prime. We're also going to take a look at Netflix's Rebecca, which I'm told is a remake of a book and not a remake of the Alfred Hitchcock film from the 40s. Uh, so we're going to talk about that as well. We're going to look at some trailers, some new things coming out. And the first thing we have to get to is the news. Our first story this week, uh, The Fast and Furious is ending after two more films. Justin Lin set to direct both for Universal. Andy, what do you know about The Fast and Furious? It has been a long road. It has. So I've, yeah. been, he- I've been here from the beginning. I remember when this franchise was about fast cars and like stealing VCRs. Stealing VCR players, yeah. Um, yeah, so it, it's, it's finally, after 20 years, just about, um, it's going to be coming to a close with two more films. So that's still a couple of years worth of, of development, um, which is going to be like 11, 12 films, something like that, to close the, the saga, which, isn't, which is really kind of disjunct. You can jump in anywhere in this franchise, and it, it doesn't really matter. But they are going to be doing two final movies um, with kind of this core cast, I think, core family. But they're still going to be doing spinoffs and other shows and things like that. Yeah, uh, this is a bit of a surprise of a story. Some of you might be thinking, yeah, it's been going for 20 years. They're, they're going to be making 11 films total here. It's probably time for it to end. But, like, that's not how Hollywood works. When something makes money, they keep making it. Like, that's why there's 11 of these movies. That's why there's, like, nine Saw films, right? And there's 13 Friday the 13th movies. I don't know if there's actually 13, but... Um, these these films these films make bank, all right. That's why they keep making them. Uh, that's why they made a spinoff series, Hobbs and Shaw, which they said they're going to make more of with the with Dwayne the Rock Johnson and Jason Statham. They are also making a female centric spinoff series, which we haven't seen any of, I think, because of coronavirus. But supposedly that's in the works in the background. So those are going to keep going. The Fast Universe will continue to exist. I think they're just kind of saying, hey, these like core films that you expect with Vin Diesel and you know the rest of the crew. Uh, who else isn't ludicrous? <laughs> it's gonna be, it's gonna be coming to a close, and I think that's okay. I mean, it's it's been so long, right? Do you got any hot takes on Justin Lin directing these? Do you do you know how? He's I mean, involved? I know that I know that he's he has made some of the. I mean, kind of revived this series. This series was kind of running out of gas. No, uh, no pun intended, uh, for a while, and he's he kind of revived it, um, and so I just know that it, that he's been very successful with the series, and that he's going to be, I guess, producing um, the last two, um, and that's just that's he's going to be directing, and he was successful previously, so we're going to kind of move on from there. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's pretty exciting. I, he, for anybody who doesn't know his history with the series, he was the director of Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift way back in 2006. That's where he got started. So, uh, you know, some, some would say, hey, that's where the series is starting to die. But in reality, that was kind of the revival of it as a more radical idea. That was when they, like, broke out of the United States and started to travel the world a little bit. That was when they started to kind of stretch what the cars could do with the drifting. And that was right when Vin Diesel was kind of out. He didn't do fa- he didn't do the second one. He made a cameo appearance at the end of, of Tokyo Drift. And then they started to make more, and that's really where it started to go. So so in a way, Justin Lin was kind of the, the harbinger of, of the, like the series dying as we knew it, and also ushering in what it is now. So I think it's good. He, he's directed the last few, I think. I don't know exactly which ones he's done, but... I know he did Fast 9, so it makes sense. He's just going to have to stay on and continue to do these. Uh, good for them, I guess. Man, family is forever, I guess, or whatever the... 
whatever the Fast and Furious phrase is. Um, so that's exciting. Uh, our next story. It's something, you have any, hold on. For sure. yeah, you got any thoughts on this? No, I'm just yeah. saying it, it's something. I, I can't believe uh, how long the series has been around and what it's evolved to. Um, yeah. It's just like. Uh, it's turned into like a comic book level property with these incredible right. stunts and this like this whole like and people are coming back from the dead now kind of and um yeah Dude, it's just yeah. it's just turned into this massive thing from what was a really smart like fast car movie right this very simple like donnie brasco slammed together with uh i, I don't know like some some car film um now here we are. So it's been a long road, I guess. Our next story, uh, Jared Leto is returning as the Joker in the Justice League Snyder Cut. This came about halfway through last week. Big surprise here in this story. Jared Leto is coming back as the Joker uh, in reshoots for the Justice League Snyder Cut that's going to be on HBO. The four-hour cut of the film and also like mini-series. It's four-hour-long episodes. I can't believe it stunned that this is happening this some this i mean this movie just keeps getting more and more bizarre and it's like it seems it seems to be everything we hear just makes it worse like you know (laughs) first it's like it's gonna be a four-hour movie yeah okay okay we're gonna do reshoots okay we're gonna bring back uh I mean, now the Joker and, you know, I think yeah, Batman's Bat- going to be Batflex going to be back. And yeah. yeah, it's just like all these things seem so desperate. And I was like, how, how are they going to, what do they intend to be like their, how are they going to recoup this investment? Right. You they're know? putting, they're putting something like $70 million into a movie that already bombed. So what's the deal, right? Why are they bringing back Joker? Why are they bringing back Jared Leto? Why are they, why are they making all of these things happen? And I've got a couple of theories. All right. I do. <laughs> the first one is they think they can make the money back on HBO max, which through, you know, just people watching subscriptions there. I mean, there's a possibility, right? It's been a long enough time. I think some people have kind of forgotten about justice league. We haven't had any superhero movies in a hot minute because of coronavirus. Maybe if they just kind of market it as a series and say, Oh, it's this four part event thing. People who are on HBO Max who don't know any better won't know they've already missed this movie that they probably didn't go see anyway, and and they'll think, you know what, I'll give it a shot, and they'll watch the first episode, and then they'll watch the second episode, and before you know it, you've watched Justice League in its entirety, and they've made, you know, at least a little bit of cultural investment back. The other thing I think they're doing here is, I think, Warner Brothers is paying some lip service to Zack Snyder. That's what I think this is. I think they want to make good with him after what happened with Justice League and Joss Whedon. I think Joss Whedon's like, I'm not doing anything with you guys anymore. And they're thinking, hmm, well, we're going to need somebody to kind of helm this thing. And they want Snyder, uh, you know, they, they just they, they want things to be cool. And this is a great way for them to say, hey, we, we respect your original vision. We want you to come back and pick this up where it left off. I don't think it'll be good. I, I really don't. But, uh, you know, I think this is this is Warner Brothers trying to... Smooth things I mean, out. I mean, bit. it seems like they're throwing everything in the kitchen sink into this movie to just get try to get people excited, but it seems to have the opposite effect. Like, it's just, I mean, everything is like, wow, this just sounds like it's getting worse with every announcement. Yeah, and and they've had to cater to like the worst parts of the DC fandom to make it happen. That's what's really terrible at this. All the people who were like 
protesting with signs and stuff at events and were like spamming message boards like these are the people who are getting pleased with this news like those are the ones who are like happy with this and i get dc's got to cater to like their fan base but come on like you can think larger than the people who are clamoring for the snyder cut i mean it was unrealistic in the first place and now here we are and let the record state Zack snyder has not made a good movie since like dawn of the dead okay there's no way this movie's gonna come out and be amazing i, do, I don't believe it i don't believe it i can't believe again like i mean just Justice League was really pretty mediocre and disappointing and underwhelming and all those things from the beginning. So it's like, how are we, how are you going to make an unsuccessful movie even remotely successful by making it longer, adding a bunch of cuts or sorry, adding a bunch of reshoots, throwing in characters from kind of a, characters who weren't a part of, who barely a part of the universe to begin with. You know, because yeah. outside of Suicide Squad, the the Jared Leto Joker isn't in it. So it's just like, I, I don't know what the plan is here, and I don't know what they expect to get. I mean, do they think this is going to draw a whole lot, a lot of subscribers? I mean, my hope for what's happening here is they're doing a better job of building up each member of the Justice League, right? It's a great way to fill out four hours, because the only origin you get for each one of these characters... Oh, God, I forgot about this. This is something i got to talk about on the show. Uh, last week, I watched Justice League again. <laughs> Um, really? Yeah, it was late one night and I'd had a couple beers and Christine had already gone to sleep and I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I was cruising for something to watch and I saw it on HBO and I was like, you know what? Why not? And uh, boy, let me tell you why not because it's terrible and is not worth going back to. Um, what a waste of time. I'm ashamed to admit it. But I, but my point is, in Justice League, right, each character of, of the Justice League, Superman, Batman, Cyborg, they're very quickly introduced. And half of those introductions were reshot by Whedon because he wanted people to feel like these are heroes, we know them, we love them, and then you jump right into the action. They mostly do away with what happened in Batman v Superman. They pretty much completely ignore Wonder Woman, like the original film, um, because it hadn't really been made yet. Uh, and, and he just kind of stuck in these quick shots. So... This will be a way of growing each character, and I think having Joker in it is a good foil for Batman, right, with his origin story in the film, showing, okay, this is serious Batman, guys, Joker's here. This, this, we mean business, and that's great, but I don't, I don't think it's going to be in service of anything greater in the film. It's not going to make the movie better, I don't think. Um, that's, that's my hot take. Yeah. And yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That's. I. I think this is a mistake. I think it's gonna bomb, and yeah. it'll. It'll be, you know, a cautionary tale about trying to fix something that probably shouldn't be try to be fixed. You know, right. and and letting, uh, you know, essentially the fans bully the studio into like saying, oh, we want to see the Snyder cut, the original vision. Which, I mean, Zack Snyder doesn't have a good track record inside the DCEU, so why would you? continue to let him have this this leeway it's clear what's working for dc is completely different directions things like aquaman and shazam and e even like the the one-off joker film with uh joaquin phoenix it's clear that this new direction is working for them so much better so why are they still letting Zack snyder helm anything yeah and I, I don't really have a good answer for that but let the record show all of dc's like original series that they've had on their dc exclusive platform they've been slowly transitioning to hbo max because there's more viewers there's more of an audience they get more clicks and that means more revenue so let the record show like they want success over there on the dc platform they want this stuff for hbo max i think that is why they're doing it there's dollar signs at the end of all this it's not just for the fans all right it's because they think they can recoup some losses and that's great but, man, 
<laughs> I'm like horrified and and also very intrigued at what's going to be happening. And at the on the one hand, I don't want to see any more Justice League. On the other hand, I kind of can't wait to watch what I think is going to be a train wreck. So you heard it here first, folks. That's Justice League on HBO Max. Our last story this week. Behind MGM Apple's overture, how much is a James Bond movie worth? It's a bit of a clickbaity headline, but this made the news this week because James Bond, the new uh, No Time to Die film that's been pushed back definitely a couple times since it was supposed to originally come out in, what, February of 2020, uh, apparently was being shopped around at streaming services. Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max even. Uh, There was this idea that MGM thought maybe we would sell this to people, but... They wouldn't sell the James Bond movie, reportedly, for less than $600 million, which is a lot. So no streaming service took them up on it. All of them said, good luck in theaters, and it's going to theaters. And what's interesting here, the Hollywood Reporter is posing, is, was that a good deal? Should they have just gone to streaming? Uh, And this this may be worth the death of cinema segment, but by God, it's in news, and we're going to talk about it here. Andy, what do you think? So, I mean, let's look at these numbers. So a Bond movie can make... Uh, over a billion dollars, depending. Um, so to sell it to a streaming service and get your money back, and and because everyone's got to be paid, the stars have you know things written into their contract that they get a cut of a final thing. So you gotta, and this is the way Netflix operates in general. When, when they pay top dollar up front because there are no back end sales, there are no like ticket sales for you to get a, a portion of. So Netflix always has to pay a premium. Uh, up front and they're used to doing that um and i'm just using them as, as an example that they're not in, in talks of this so i mean to make it worth it to a studio you got to shell out seven eight hundred million for the property um it may, maybe i think that's what mgm was wanting around that number but even i mean no one was going to go higher than uh i guess uh apple was the one person who made an offer between three and four hundred million and even that i mean that's a pretty steep price and it was only for a year worth of, of licensing it's not even like you don't get it forever. Yeah, your numbers are right. Uh, it looks like they were expecting something like 750, 800 million. To get specific in here, it says it cost 250 million to produce the film, and then another 50 million in marketing. Apparently, Apple was the one approaching them about this deal, and Apple, Apple TV Plus, right? They were going to offer them like 350, 400 million for the whole thing, which is just over breaking even. That's that's that's. Not bad, but apparently MGM was thinking they were going to make something like check, a billion check. dollars. Check, a check. billion dollars off this film, which uh, they made off of twenty and 2012 off Skyfall, but not off of Spectre in 2015, which was the most recent film. So, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's kind of a bum deal. I'm surprised they think they're going to make a billion dollars on this movie. Uh, that That is a surprise to me, but otherwise, um, you know, who, know, who knows what could happen? Maybe it'll come out eventually. Maybe it'll come out eventually and it'll be great. I don't know. Uh, or maybe it'll come out and it will make like, you know, not, not a billion dollars and they'll have to, you know, uh, eat, eat, eat their shorts or something. I don't know. Yeah. Well, what's interesting about this is, is one of the, I guess, entities that owns James Bond, um, is very brand aware and because they've, they've been offered things like TV shows and spinoffs and things like that. And they've stayed away from that because, uh, they want the, you know, exclusivity, uh, of the brand. They don't want too many James Bond properties out there to make sure the movies are, are kind of the biggest draw. Mm-hmm. And, and it says here, if they, if they started going to streaming services, there would probably be there's potential for a demand for, for movies like this on streaming services. And they may end up driving themselves into less business right. because people suddenly want to see spy movies. Like I, I love how the broccoli brand feels about their products. 
uh, referring to Albert Broccoli, the original author of the work and uh, who is now his estate now owns the, the Bond films, the Broccoli brand. Um, they are convinced they are like, I mean, they're going to make a billion dollars and everybody's going to love secret agent movies. And maybe, maybe this is the Bond movie to knock down all other Bond movies. But like, I just don't see it. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be a good movie. I'm sure it will be profitable, but um, you're not earning any money while it sits on the shelves. And that's something every studio is having to deal with right now. It's like, well, we could sell this and not make as much money as we normally would. But if we wait, you're just not making any money. And who knows when it's going to come back out. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I don't know. Uh, I think currently it's, it's, it's slated to come out on April 2nd of 2021. So I appreciate Apple kicking the tires on this and saying, hey, maybe it's worth something. I guess that does leave the door open for other streaming services to come along and say, hey, maybe we'll pick that up and we will take that $600 million deal. But I mean, it sounds like they want even more than that. I think that's that's lowballing yeah. what they want. And, and considering, I mean, even Netflix, even though Netflix spends a ton, like they might spend 50, 150 on, um, or more on a film, but that's peanuts compared to like asking $800 million or whatever uh, crazy price they want. You know, I wonder if they'd have any more success if like HBO had approached them, you know, I just uh, <laughs> hear me out. If, like a more if, premium brand, right? Sure, like, sure, sure. HBO is known to be like, Hey, this is, this is good quality stuff. And if it wasn't just Apple plus who, who most recently acquired Tom Hanks's Greyhound, um, maybe it's, maybe that would be worth something like the clout. Right. But I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if a bond movie is worth a billion dollars. I really don't. Well, and this is, this is what we, we've said before is that the only problem with if theaters kind of go away or aren't a big part of the picture, at least for the foreseeable future, the, the, the only thing that you miss out is you're not going to have blockbusters this big. Like you're going to li- your budget will then be limited, limited to like a hundred, $150 million film. And it's not going to be anything bigger than that. Um, so that that's kind of the the only danger in this thing going straight to streaming is you you might not have the block but like you know the three hundred million dollar Star Wars film, uh, you know if if you don't have a way to make that money back. Right. So I don't know. We'll see. Uh, like I said, it's it's slated to come out April second, twenty twenty one. We will go see it, hell or high water, and we'll review it on this show. So if you want to hear more about James Bond or how it is, or or Justice League on HBO or Fast and Furious ten or whatever the next one's supposed to be, keep it here on Off Script for more. Subscribe. You know, do 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 us a solid. And with that being said, we should move into our first review. I did a little bit of a, a little bit of a mix-up in the intro. I'm going to be honest, and I probably should have corrected myself then, or just restarted the recording. But this is this is how we're doing it now. So we're doing <laughs> Rebecca first, and then we're doing Borat too. I probably should have t- said that at the top. Sorry, but Andy is excited to take the summary on this movie. I'm excited to hear it because it's uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's there's a, a lot going on. There's a lot it's going some, on. It's some bold cinema. Andy, please take it away. Rebecca. The terror is for guests only. Monsieur, the young lady will be joining me. What did you do? I'm a lady's companion. Maxim de Winter. His wife died last year in his entire need of company. So this is a new adaptation of, of a classic film based on a novel by uh, uh, Daphne du Maurier. Um, it was first 
made the original film or the first adaptation rather was made in 1940 it's by alfred hitchcock so it's a big uh kind of deal and i think it's a very different film from what we get here and i, th- I believe it's been made uh more than once uh, more than twice even uh anyways the story is we find lily collins in what is kind of early uh 20th century monte carlo she's uh playing kind of the servant or valet of a, of a wealthy older woman and uh while while she's at this fancy resort, she meets um, Maxim De Winter, uh, De Winter, played by the wonderful Army Hammer. They meet and have this whirlwind romance, and uh, it turns out that Mr. De Winter has very recently lost his wife in a tragic accident, and he's grieving and all this. Uh, but in the midst of this romance, they they fall in love, they wed, they go back to his estate in England called Mandalay. Where it seems the uh, this kind of specter of his dead wife seems to to still haunt the house. Uh, all her things are there. Everyone remembers her. There's a really creepy uh, kind of head house person played by Kristen Scott Thomas, uh, who who does not care for uh, the new young Miss um, Mr. Winter. Um, and so that's kind of our, our setup. And there's a lot going on. There's intrigue. There's a lot of mystery. There's um, a, a lot of secrets held by everyone in the house. The house itself, the property, uh, holds secrets. Uh, so that's our setup. And we, we we have a lot going on in this film. We have in, like really incredible uh, environments, places. Uh, we're in Monte Carlo. We're in this big house in, in England that's like a Downton Abbey style. Uh, period piece costumes there's a whole lot and uh there's i think a lot that really works in this film and then there's some things that don't so we're gonna get into that zach what do you think so this movie is all right that's that's how i felt about this movie it is not bad but it's not like super good and i guess i thought because it's an adaptation of this like apparently very well heralded work from 1938 um, this novel, I, I thought it'd be, okay, this would be pretty good. And then I thought, oh, wait, hold on. This was adapted into an Alfred Hitchcock film in 1940. This was actually Hitchcock's first film when he came to America. This was his first big one. And believe it or not, he had a lot of trouble getting Rebecca made back then because he had issues with the MPAA and what was acceptable in American culture and what wasn't. Um, there's, a, there's kind of a turn in this film that he simply couldn't do. Um, because it wasn't socially acceptable on film at the time, kind of like kind of like a, the flushing toilet in Psycho, right? Like, and he was really restricted with what he did. But that actually won him uh, his only, as far as I know, Academy Award for directing Rebecca. So big Hitchcock film, but this is not a remake of the film. This is an adaptation of the book. The director Ben Wheatley specified, "Hey, I am not trying to make a Hitchcock movie. That's not what I'm doing here. I'm adapting the novel." And I guess I thought it was going to be something very grand, and it isn't quite that. It's it's a bit more humble, and and I think that's important to understand going in. I, I think I had high expectations, but I also think it's a bit of a flat film, and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking about why. I have a feeling you feel the same way. So... <laughs> What do you think? Well, I I felt the same way. We have a lot of the elements and a lot of the ingredients for a great film. We have um, exotic locales. We have top-notch actors. We have, you know, this um, acclaimed novel and kind of mystery story. So we have all the right moments, but but then it's like, why why doesn't it work? Why is it so... 
lame. Uh-huh. <laughs> or, and, um, and and there's a lot of reasons. Uh, I, I think, first off, we have great actors, but we don't have great... It's the Netflix problem. We, we have all the elements except good writing. Okay, mm. It seems like they always rush the script and they crank these out and the writers don't have time to write really in-depth, really moving dialogue. And so you have just a lot of, un- of uninteresting characters, uninteresting um, dialogue. And there, there's all these situations that should be filled with drama and like heartache or heartbreak and all. The, and this, it, it all falls flat. Like none of it is, has the emotional punch that it, that it should. And part of that, uh, there's a lot going on. There's almost too much going on. The middle of this film was incredibly slow for me. I had a hard time. And then the last 30 minutes, like a million things happen. Yeah. It's so, yeah. Yeah. So it's a pacing issue as well. Go ahead. No, you're absolutely right. I, I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm finding that the issue in this film falls squarely on the director. Um, Ben Wheatley. Uh, ben Wheatley most recently did uh, High Rise in 2016, starring, uh, what is his name? The guy who plays Loki, Tom Hiddleston. Uh, uh-huh. And then before that, he did Free Fire, which is a smaller film, uh, actually kind of about gun control, uh, starring Ar- Army Hammer, along with Brie Larson and a couple other uh, people. I think I watched Free Fire for the show and actually enjoyed it, but yeah. both of those films were lacking. Both of them had actually really good cast and, and really interesting actors, uh, and, and they had really interesting premises but both of them fell short and this one does too and and i'm starting to think he seems to be kind of the thing that links these all together because you're right like everything in this movie should add up to be better than it is it has fantastic sets it has great well pretty good costuming and makeup it has great actors and actresses it's got a very timeless premise something doesn't work here and i think i have to say that's what it is because i don't know what else to point at so let's jump into it what's what's the best place to kind of start talking about this film probably well what do you think um let's start with our characters so we we have Lily Collins who's playing kind of this this young ingenue. She's a beautiful kind of working class woman. She's uh, she's not a writer. I forget what her what what well, she she's does. staff is what she yeah. is. She's she's not actually like super high class. She's just staff for a high class woman. Yeah, but but she comes from like both her parents have died. She's got no family. She's kind of, like I said. She's on. She's a caretaker of this older wealthier woman. Um, it's just kind of at her beck and call. Um, and she's nice and, but, but she, uh, she lacks kind of a lot of definition as a character. You know, she's just kind of the ingenue and that's it. Uh, and she falls in love with, with army hammer because army hammers dashing and wealthy. Uh, but there's like their, like the romance isn't like super convincing. Yeah, um, so I think I think there's a couple reasons for this. Uh, one, because I think I think she lacks just a, just a hair of of charisma in her performance, and I I think I know why that is. Actually, Army Hammer kind of has a similar issue. I think it's because they're both trying to play characters that are dressed differently than they are. Uh, our, our our costuming here has Lily walking around in in very fine outfits. She looks fantastic. Her her and her her ward, I guess they're they're, they're touring Europe. Uh, and that's where they run into Army Hammer when they're staying in, I think, Paris. Uh, and, and he is this young bachelor, a uh, new, new bachelor, right, um, who happens to be there alone. And that's how they kind of catch each other. They kind of catch eyes at one point, and she's immediately taken to him. But I think in the original work, she was supposed to be really kind of meek and tame and also not not wearing, like, particularly 
awesome outfits. She she looks like she fits very well in the time here, but I think she was supposed to be a bit more like a maid, and she kind of comes off as like somebody who should who should be in her place. And really, in reality, her character shouldn't be. Her character should be very meek and timid and, and kind of step stepping away from mm-hmm. the situation around her. Army Hammer, on the other hand, is supposed to be charismatic and bold, but also, you know, mourning, so quiet and, and, and kind of to himself. And he kind of brings that out a little bit. But there's this bit of mystery to his character, right? Because he's supposed to be this kind of mysterious bachelor who comes from this situation that we don't really know yet. Um, and he's just kind of comes off as like, I don't know, almost menacing, which works, but you have a character who's kind of menacing and another one who feels a bit out of place. And ultimately there's just not a lot of time for chemistry there. They just don't click very well. Right. But also he's supposed to be, he's supposed to be all these things that people say or talk about. And then we never really see it. Like he's supposed to be grieving at no point. Does he ever seem like he's grieving about anything? You know, they talk about him, him having a, a temper and we never really see his temper come out. Like he, he talks strongly a couple times, but he doesn't, he's never really that angry, but they're like, Oh no, the, the famous de winter temper. And it just, you never see it. Um, right. G- go ahead. I was going to say, I also think he's supposed to be a bit older. I think the character is supposed to be kind of an older gentleman. And yeah, Army they look Hammer, the same age. Yeah, they're very close to each other. So I've, I've, I've read people have said as far as saying he's just miscast. And I don't want to say that's what's going on here, but like either he is going for something completely tonally different than the director wants or the director isn't leaning into his performance. But either way, like there's just a bit of an issue there. And, and I think the two of them... I don't know. It just doesn't quite click. And so you end up with like this, just a bit of an off kilter relationship, but they both look fantastic and they fit the costumes and they, they fit in the setting. Great visually. I think it totally flies, but there's something in the line delivery and the performances that just kind of threw me off a little bit. Well, also I, I wanted to, to mention that um, in addition to the, to these two is uh, Kristen Scott Thomas, who's the uh, kind of head house person yes. at Miss Danvers at the, yeah. right at the estate and she is I think really good I think she's actually the strongest part of this movie because she is super creepy she's like Dracula she just kind of haunts the house like she shows she wears all dark colors she pops up out of nowhere she's clearly scheming against um, Lily Collins's character um, and, and she she has the intensity that the other two actors are kind of lacking or at least she's, she's able to bring it up which which I think is more of a writing problem right um, so so in case uh, in case she's incredibly convincing in the role yeah no she's very good in case somebody didn't catch it uh, when, when Andy hit the summer at the top once our two lovers uh, arrive at uh, Manderley which is Army Hammer's estate uh, they're greeted by Mrs. Danvers who is the I guess just general housekeeper, right? That's kind of her role there. She she keeps up with all the staff and everybody who's running the estate. And she is very cold. And she is a very, very, very huge fan of Army Hammer's former wife, who is Rebecca, our titular character. Uh, the two of them got along great. Got along so well. And and she starts doing this thing when, when Lily Collins arrives and she starts telling her, hey, here's, here's how Rebecca did this. Well, Rebecca liked it this way. Well, Rebecca did it that way. And she forces our character, our lead, to kind of have to meet this standard that she is claiming, hey, your husband expects this now. This, this is how Rebecca used to do this. This is how he liked this. You need to start doing it this way. 
And so she's in this new place and she's she's trying to kind of slip into this role, but also meet these like exceptional standards that just simply aren't the way she wants to live her life. And so she's forced to kind of grapple with Mrs. Danvers' character. Mrs. or Miss? I, I, I should know. Uh, probably um, Mrs. Probably. Uh, oh, wait, no, Miss. Miss, right? Yeah, yeah Miss. She's single, yeah. Um, she's forced <laughs> to kind of try to fit into this role, right? Square peg in a round hole that she kind of isn't really. And and as this is happening, our, our, our two lovers are kind of getting to know each other better. And she's finding that, you know, the circumstances around Rebecca's untimely demise maybe aren't as clear as she thought maybe something isn't quite right here um and that's where you start to get kind of our tension in the second act yeah it, well i to me the second act was the but i it was difficult to get through the first 45 minutes i was into the second 45 minutes when they get to the back to mandalay i i just drags there's lots of um scenes and events and it, I think it's supposed to be a lot more mysterious and it just never is like, you're supposed to be like, Oh, what does that mean? What is this? What's, what is this, uh, this diary or what is this? You know? And there's all these things that point to a larger mystery that never really comes about. Yeah. And, and I don't think this is an issue of setting. I really don't think it's an issue of acting. Like I said, army hammer feels a little out of place here. Uh, and Lily Collins's performance feels strange as well, but Manderley's a fantastic locale, um, which is where most of the rest of the film takes place, right? This estate. Um, it's actually the same building they shot uh, Yorgos Lanthimos's The Favorite in. It's actually the same same location they shoot Who Lose the Great in. Uh, I checked. I went and looked at one point because I thought this hallway scene looked so familiar. I went and looked, and sure enough, it's it's the exact same room. It's a fantastic set. I mean, it, it's it's an actual building somewhere. These This is like a place you can go, you can check out. Obviously, you can book for filming. Um, it's, it's in this wonderful European kind of Vista. Uh, they've got great outfits because uh, it's the twenties and they're super high class and everything looks good. Everybody that comes looks great. They've got the makeup, they've got the hair. All of it feels like it should work, but like somehow it doesn't. I, I maybe it's the editing. Like it just doesn't, it's boring and it's flat and it's dry. Yeah, it, well, and it, it shows you that, that at the end of the day, like you gotta have, be telling a good story to get people in because all everything else is there but it's just it's uninteresting despite great locales you know this creepy setting um top notch notch actors of the day and it's just like but man it's so bland it falls so flat yeah and and i think that's an issue maybe of adaptation and also direction but i've I've said that already so so i I, i've got a i've got a, a a quick example um let me see if i can summarize this so there's a scene in this movie it's a bit of a climactic scene i don't think it's I'm going to try to tiptoe around giving away what exactly is going on. But at a at a costume party, uh, uh, our, our young new new wife, Lily Collins' character, uh, she's excited to show her her new husband this this costume she's put together. Um, she thinks he's really going to love it. And and the staff helped her put it together. And, and she, she kind of comes down the stairs in, in this film in like a very regal scene and shows it off. And she doesn't get the reaction she's looking for. Everybody is, is surprised and a bit taken aback by what she's wearing. They're, they're, not, they're not necessarily pleased. Her husband is actually upset by what she's wearing. Um, and it's this grand drum roll of a scene that ends completely flat. And it's a bit devastating for, for our new wife because she's she's devastated. She wanted to surprise her husband in front of all of his friends. like, And she doesn't get the reaction she's looking for. And she runs back upstairs and the film goes on. It, apparently in the Hitchcock version, and again, I know this isn't a Hitchcock remake, but hear me out. 
This is an adaptation of, of similar works. Uh, apparently, how it goes in the Hitchcock version is she comes down the stairs and nobody's looking at her. Nobody's paying attention to this to this this young woman who who used to formerly be staff. It's it's an issue of class. It's an issue of of who you are as a person, whether or not you are from wealth or not. And nobody pays attention to her. So rather than having this drum roll moment, she has to wade through this crowd of people who aren't even looking at her, who are completely oblivious to who this individual is. And then she gets to her husband, and then she's crushed by his reaction. It's only after she's had to wade through all of these people and all of this complete misfire of a situation, then she's crushed. And like that buildup of tension is important, right? I think that's what ratchets up stakes. That's what makes things interesting. This movie just kind of lacks that. Now, coming to the third act, we do get that a bit more, and I think that's when it starts to pick up again. Yeah, it, it definitely picks up in, in Act 3. We we have some revelations and some twists. Um, but it, it's like Act 3 is almost two acts. It's almost a movie's worth of, of, of events that happen, and it, it goes through them so fast, it loses a lot of the drama and the impact, and it just it feels really rushed, and, and it doesn't have the kind of intrigue that it should. Mm-hmm. I agree. Act three comes at you like a sack of bricks and like you gotta, you better be ready to catch it. Um, it, it, it wraps up in a, I don't want to say it wraps up in a funny way, but how it gets to wrapping up is a funny thing. As, as I was watching this, cause it's on Netflix, it's about a two hour film, just over two, two hours, three minutes. I think we got through the first hour and I was like, where's this going? Like I didn't, I didn't really know where it was headed. And then right when there's about a half hour left, you realize exactly where it's going. And then they have to like just make this screaming race to the finish to wrap it up. It, it's very, very, I don't want to say poorly structured because I think that's how the book is structured. But the, the film is paced in an odd way. And, and I, again, I think that's an issue of the director. I mean, that's, that's ultimately who that comes down to. And I, I wonder if they knew that. I, I don't know. I don't really know whether or not this film was slated to be headed to theaters or not, but... It seems like everything should work. It seems like everything should add up. But ultimately, in this version, it just kind of doesn't. And, and I, I don't know if that's a disservice to the original work or not. I suppose I'd have to read it to find out. But there's something here that just doesn't click for me. Yeah, it, like I said, it it seems like there's... It seems initially there's not enough going on. And then there's way too much going on. And uh, all, all these dramatic moments just fall flat. You know, this mystery surrounding kind of the the... Who is Rebecca? Who was Rebecca? Like all these clues and all these things we dig up, they're never that interesting. They're they're not that in, intriguing. There are relationships between the characters aren't super convincing. Like I said, uh, Kristen Scott Thomas as Miss Danvers is uh, probably the, the best, and yeah, her her relationship with uh, Lily Collins, uh, you know, is quite biting, and and it's it's clear that she's kind of there to sabotage her. But outside of that, everyone's relationship to each other is just so bland and unconvincing yeah and it's weird because i you know i hate to say that about a film that feels like it should be more than the sum of its parts but ultimately this is kind of the opposite i think i think the parts are better than the sum i think the sets are great i think the costuming is great i i think well the costume is a little a little odd in the beginning of the film but it comes around army hammer spends like the, the whole first chunk of the movie wearing this like one yellow suit that looks not awesome, but I guess for the 20s, it was probably great. I, I think the actors and the, I, I think they're fine. The actors and actresses, I think the lighting's good. I like the music in this movie, but like, it just comes off. It's missing something and it's hard to nail what exactly that is. So any other thoughts for recommendations? No, I think I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Rebecca? 
Uh, no, I'm going to say not, not really. Uh, maybe if you're, if you're a fan of the original film or of the book, uh, it'd probably be interesting to see. There are good things about this film. Like I said, we, we do have some top notch actors. We have pretty incredible environment and shooting locations. Um, but the, the story and the mystery that, that apparently that this book and novel that has been made several times, uh, just isn't really transferred to the screen. Um, and it's a little long, like I said, it's, it's a full two hours. The act two really drags, uh, and it was a little difficult for me to, to get through. So I'm going to say no. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say yes with caveats. Um, cause there are definitely caveats here. I, I really want to like this movie and, and maybe it's worth a rewatch. I can sit down and kind of put my expectations aside and really get into what's going on here and come around on it. But I think there's a lot here that works. It just didn't come around for me. And I don't think it's because I'm not exactly in the target audience. I think there's something fundamentally lacking here. So for, so for people who are into stuff like this, right, for people who like uh, books of this type, things like Charlotte Bronte or, or, or Jane Austen, um, you know, or, you know, give it a shot. Maybe. I think the actors are good. I think they deserve support. I, I, I like where it's shot. I like what's happening in it. I do like the fundamental story in it. I, I think it's, it's, I don't know, but, but I, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't think it's a great one. And, and that's, that's where I land. And for a Netflix movie, you know, I, I do think you could do worse. So that's Rebecca. You know, it's it's not perfect. Few things in life are. That's what I think. And, uh, you know, if my review sounded harsh, I didn't, I didn't mean for it to, but I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with that, we should move on to our next segment. We're going to be looking at a couple of trailers this week. Uh, we were going to look at three. Now we're just looking at two. Right, Andy? I can, I can cut that yeah. other one we were talking about? <laughs> yes, yes, Just going to yes. get rid of that right there. Perfect. <laughs> so with that being said, uh, Andy, would you mind introducing our segment, please? It's time for the trailer park. So, uh, the first film we're going to be looking at is a movie... <laughs> Hold on, I did actually leave this in. Wait a second. Got it. Not talking about that movie. For anybody who wants to know who's listening and can't see what we're doing here, the movie is The Prom, and that's the movie we're not talking about. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, the first film we're going to be talking about is Tom Hanks's News of the World. And I'm going to be honest, Andy, I don't really know what this is about, but I can tell you what I think it's about from the trailer, which <laughs> fundamentally that's what trailers are, right? So that's... That's That's true, sure. Sure. Uh, So News of the World is the story of a traveling storyteller in what appears to be eh, like the late 1800s. It's a man who travels around a town and tells stories of the American frontier, right? Of of cowboys and Indians, of of pioneers going to new places, of entrepreneurs, small business and large business, of families, and ultimately success, I think, in in the Wild West. Uh, Tom Hanks plays this uh, protagonist, storyteller. Uh, which is a perfect role, I think, for him. A man who kind of travels alone, but understands the ways of the world, at least in the ways of his stories. Uh, when one day on, on the trail, he finds a young girl, a woman, a young young woman, I guess, who uh, is was raised by Native Americans. Doesn't speak English, but is most definitely of, um, say, European descent, blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, and now he has to figure out what to do with her. You know, can 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 he take her back to the Indians, or does he have to take her her with him? Uh, should he find a family for her? Maybe find out where she's from if she has a family to go back to. How'd she end up in the woods anyway? And I think ultimately it's it's a story about kind of finding your way um, from a man who literally tells the world about finding the way. So 
News of the world. It's a Universal <laughs> Pictures production. That's probably a terrible summary. Uh, Andy, what do you think? Uh, I'm excited about this. So I was I read about this a little while back. Um, it's definitely an Oscar contender type of film. Um, love Tom Hanks. This re- movie reminds me a lot of Road to Perdition, uh, which also features Tom Hanks uh, with his young son trying to escape uh you know to a better life kind of situation so there's some parallels there the difference is so he plays actually a old uh civil war soldier he's a veteran uh, of the civil war and so now he's he's kind of a new a newsman a traveling news person um when he when he finds this girl and so he his what he's trying to do is get her back to to her family um, but she also she doesn't speak uh english she's i guess she was raised by um native americans and so she doesn't there, there's a language issue and so that's gonna that's part of uh the difficulty in the film ultimately it looks like uh maybe a story of redemption you have you know tom hanks old soldier wandering the wild west looking for purpose or, or meaning he finds a girl he wants to return her to to her home there are people who are going to try and and stop that and uh but him be him him being a soldier he's he's gonna do what he has to do and again this kind of reminds reminds me of like i said him in road to perdition where he he's uh, a mob enforcer um funny enough which you wouldn't think he would be able to pull off but he completely does yeah um there's some things about this movie that i'm looking forward to i'm looking forward to any any solid tom hanks performance where he can monologue a lot which being a man who tells stories, that is exactly what he'll be, which is great. Like, I, th- I think there's a lot of potential for some, like, solid Hanks performances, and, and I the world needs more of those, so no problems there. Also, and this is going to be petty, but hear me out, uh, typically when you have a child actor, especially if it's their first large role, which this is, as said in the trailer, introducing Helena Zengel, uh, the, less, the less lines you give them, the better. Because there's less chances for a child actor who hasn't really worked out the nuances of, like, fine acting yet to stumble, right? Like, they don't really have any speaking lines. They, they're they just kind of emoting, which I think kids are great at. So, you get a child actor who doesn't say a whole lot alongside Tom Hanks, who's basically commanding the screen. And things check out. The only issue I have is, I don't know, something about this trailer, something about it looks... I don't know. There's something about it. I can't. I can't nail what it is, but it looks a little. And and Andy will criticize it, me. It looks well, a little low rent, and I don't know why. <laughs> well, there's something did, to it, and I can't nail what it is. It does have that issue where it it's got all these pieces of. And I've, had, I've seen this before where I'll see a trailer and like, man, that looks like this incredible, deep Oscar film, and then you see it, and it's just bad. You know, <laughs> like it, it it's yeah. got all these setups. So I I see what you mean. I I don't. I don't see that in this film, but I I see how one might. I don't know. Yeah, there's something about it. There's a lot of handheld, lots of handheld shots in the trailer, um, which, you know, handheld in the Wild West is fine. Like, that's not a problem, but there's something of the lighting or something to it that just doesn't look particularly cinematic to me. I, th- I think thematically, it's supposed to be a very bold film, but it's something in the presentation, it just seems off. So I'm going to keep my eye on News of the World because for all I know, this is the next great Tom Hanks film. And and I, uh, hey, I'm, I'm happy to be wrong about this, but I don't know. Something about it sticks out in a weird way. And that's what I think in News of the World. What else are we watching, Andy? Uh, the other trailer, and this, this actually just came out today, is The Midnight Sky. So this is a new kind of post-apocalyptic film directed and starring George Clooney. He plays uh, some sort of Arctic 
scientist um and he's looked like he's kind of trapped in in the ice and snow and there meanwhile there is a space station or something revolving around earth and they're trying to land on earth but he's trying to tell them no (laughs) earth is like doomed or you can't land here it's not safe anymore you have to go away but the the problem is um his equipment is faulty or his antenna isn't large enough to actually reach him so he he him and his young daughter are going to have to go on this journey across the ice and snow to a place with a larger antenna that can reach uh these people that are in space and are supposed to be humanity's last hope so this is a netflix picture uh this trailer actually came out today the day we're recording this episode so i'm excited to talk about this because it's it's not often we get to talk about things this timely um, this is a George Clooney picture, which is what I'm most excited about talking about because George Clooney does not direct a lot of films. He's only recently kind of slid into the director's chair. I don't even remember what his last film was, but, um, this is, this is a, a George Clooney production, which means it'll have a unique, a unique kind of lens around it. But more, more interestingly, I like this idea of Clooney playing this dad. I think he's, a, I assume this girl is his daughter, right? Playing this dad mm-hmm. who has to travel to this faraway place to, to tell, what would normally be the saviors of humanity to turn back. Don't bother. You, we tried. It didn't work. Get out of here. And, and that's really interesting to me. And I hope that's what's happening. That, that's what the summaries all seem to say. It's what it says on IMDb. So I hope that's not a misread or anything because that's an intriguing premise to, to have a father explaining to his daughter as they, as they travel through these harsh scenarios that we are no good. We're, we're left behind. <laughs> It's, it's it's depressing in just the right way. I, th- I think it is important to look at not all this movie is going to be in space because it's not about the astronauts. It's about the people on Earth. So that's important. I think this trailer probably does, doesn't do a great job of really showcasing that because the stuff on the Earth is boring, right? Stuff with astronauts is interesting and cool. But it seems like there's enough going on here that, that this could be pretty good for a Netflix movie, right? You could do worse on Netflix. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm always up for good sci-fi, especially post-apocalyptic sci-fi even more. Um, the trailer does kind of, I think, give a whole lot away, but it does look interesting. And it, it, I think it's coming out in December, um, so it might be, you know, one of those Oscar contenders, which, you know, could be just about anything this year since so many films haven't been able to, to come out. Yeah. Um, but I, I like the look. Uh, I like George Clooney as an actor and director. And it, it's an interesting premise. So I, I think it's probably something we'll end up watching for the show. Yeah, I think so too. Midnight Sky. Keep an eye out for it. And with that being said, we should move on to our final trailer of the episode. I'm going to be taking the summer on this one. Looking forward to talking about it. The movie is Borat, subsequent movie film. Fourteen year ago, I released movie film which brought great shame to Kazakhstan. But now I was instructed to return to Yankee land to carry out secret mission. I go to America! So, Borat's subsequent movie film is Borat 2, fundamentally the sequel to Borat from 2016, 2006, excuse me, when the original Borat came out, a Sacha Baron Cohen production. Uh, I'll talk about the plot in just a second, but let's get the kind of the the important stuff out of the way. This is a spoof film, right? Uh, Spoofing politics in America. Uh, Sacha Baron Cohen is a comedy actor, does some drama as well, like 
trial of Chicago seven last week. Um, but this is, this is one of his goofy characters that's meta and, and is supposed to be a commentary on society. Uh, he, he walks around with a hidden camera crew and acts like a, a goofy individual in public to capture reactions and hopefully get candid responses to, you know, uh, odd, odd characters in society. He started this with Ali G, the rapper. He made Borat in 2006. He did Bruno shortly afterwards. Um, and now he's returning to the Borat character just in time for the November election, uh, which is actually why this movie's coming out. We actually did some news about this a while back. It is a, a production that was shot from February to now. It was actually right when coronavirus really got going. As soon as, as soon as restrictions lifted, they went out and shot this movie. So that it's a very quick production, very quickly put together. Uh, it lacks some, some pretty basic tenements of what I would normally expect in one of his productions, but I'm excited to get into it. The plot of the film is this. After 2006, after Borat Sagadev went to America and shot his documentary, the nation of Kazakhstan was horrified by his response and sentenced him to a lifetime of hard labor. But... Uh, after America elected MacDonald Trump in 2020, uh, in 2016, they decided they would use this opportunity to uh, form an alliance with America and are sending Borat back over to America to meet with President MacDonald Trump and give him uh, uh, J- Jumbo the monkey, which is a monkey in Kazakhstan who is a bit of a bit of a star. And hopefully that'll be how they form form a, a, an alliance between the two nations. Uh, after arriving in Galveston, Texas, uh, uh, after 22 days on a boat, uh, Borat is horrified to discover that in the box, the, the shipping container where, where Jumbo the monkey was, uh, is his daughter, uh, who is 15 years old, played by a wonderful, wonderful um, Newcomer. Ukrainian actress. Yeah, uh, we'll talk about her in just a second. Uh, and he immediately decides, well, hey, rather than present uh, the president with uh, a monkey, why not just give him my 15-year-old daughter? Because he finds footage of President Trump hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein. And it was like, oh, obviously he loves teenage girls. So that's the pitch. Uh, and this is their journey across the country to get to President Trump uh, and and present him with his, his daughter as, as a peace treaty. Uh, definitely definitely a lot of goofy bits in here, and I'm excited to kind of talk about what's happening. Andy, what did you think of Borat's subsequent movie film? So I'm a fan of the original Borat. Uh, I remember seeing it in theaters and laughing a whole lot. It's so ridiculous, so over the top. I didn't realize it was as old as it is. It's from 2006. And that's important because, you know, a lot of, of what Borat is is this shock humor of this... Um, uh, you know, this kind of thing, this candid camera or, you know, hidden cameras rolling and, and catching uh, people's real reactions to shocking uh, things that he's doing. Um, it works in 26, in, sorry, in 2006 because of the time. This is pre-modern internet. This is, uh, social media has not yet taken off. YouTube is only a year old uh, at this point. It, it is not a, a household name either. So um, the... F- the theater in film is kind of the only place you would go to see like this kind of ridiculous thing. Uh, it reminds me of the old jackass films as well. Now you have the internet, you have YouTube, you have TikTok, you have uh, Twitter, Twitter. You can find ridiculous stunts and real life things at the touch of a, of a button. And so this new film doesn't really work as, as well for me. Uh, the shock humor isn't that shocking you see a lot of the gags coming a, wh- a mile away and so do the people involved like the people on screen 
they kind of see it coming because the, I mean, you just assume if someone's doing something ridiculous, they, well, someone's probably shooting a video. You assume it's, uh, you know, you assume it's not authentic and real. Uh, so a lot of the gags don't really land for me. I, I did chuckle a few times. There are some fu- funny things. Um, I, I think what the film kind of does better is it, it has this underlying kind of feminism to it because told through this satire of him trying to sell his daughter to, to McDonald Trump, uh, or or Michael Pence, yeah, like that that kind of um, there's actually this very smart satire happening there through that storyline. But a lot of the the just like the gags, they're just not shocking. They're just not, and and I, and I don't think it's because they're not shocking enough. They just can't be nothing shocking anymore in today's modern internet. Right. So let's jump into our kind of general presentation here before we get into characters. Um, as far as like the plot of this film goes, there's, there's really not a whole lot to it. I, I kind of just told you it's like a 95 minute feature. This movie moves really fast. Um, they arrive in the U S and the first problem they have is everybody recognizes Borat, right? Which is good. Um, the, being a kind of hidden camera show like, like Jackass or more recently, like true TV's impractical jokers, right? I think it's a great example of what's happening here. Um, Everybody recognizes Sacha Baron Cohen running around as Borat. I mean, it, the costume, the mustache, the hair. And even though it's been 14 years, like, he slides perfectly back into the role. Uh, he's, he acts like Borat. He's got the act. Like, it's very clearly Borat. So it opens, basically, with people recognizing him and him running away. And then they go to a costume shop and they buy a bunch of costumes that he can wear. So for almost the entirety of the rest of the film, we have Sacha Baron Cohen playing Borat, acting like somebody else which i think in the performance is just a level too far like it's just a little too far and like even when he's not dressed up as somebody when he's just borat i have a really hard time believing people don't recognize him anyway like it 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 takes away this like sheen of what 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 worked in 2006 which you're right was basically pre-youtube was this idea of like people not being in on the gag and so we get to laugh at Sacha Baron Cohen's expense, right? At, at the people around him who aren't understanding what's happening and are trying to react candidly to him. He's the clown and they're the straight men and, and that's what's funny. Here it doesn't play as much because it just feels like everybody would know him anyway. And if they don't know him, then you start to wonder, okay, well, hold on. There's a camera crew standing around. Don't people see them? Or why, why, why is this house all rigged with cameras already that these people are in? Like, when did they have time to set that up? Like, you start to, you start to, have too many questions about the production and it just loses this feeling of like genuine something. And it, it kind of gives the whole movie this, 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 this rough edge that I think is just distracting. In my opinion, I watch a lot of movies. Maybe, maybe I'm totally wrong. Yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I agree. It just, it doesn't work anymore. And, and there's, and that goes for a lot of things. There was this golden age of, uh, you know, kind of when, when we started to get more technology, but, but we didn't have like internet or widespread uh, internet and social media use the way we do now. It, it's the way that an early 2000s comedies, uh, things like American Pie, Waiting, Road Trip are products of their time, but like don't really hold up today. Right. And this, this, pops the same way like it just doesn't quite quite get where it needs to there are moments though there are certain gags that are particularly funny again uh, introducing the, the president as mac donald trump it's good for a laugh i, I, I get a laugh out of that there's a great bit about uh, um 
I guess the, the Prime Minister of Canada wearing blackface. That's a good gag right at the opening of the film. Oh, gosh, um, yeah. There's a bit where Sandra Baron Cohen runs runs into a, um, a very nice hotel where the, where the Republican National Convention is happening, dressed straight up as KKK, like with the Klan robes and everything. And there's actually articles you can go back and find from the middle of 2020 when that happened because there was like a formal investigation filed with Marriott Hotels about it. Like there's... There's some good stuff in here, but it just feels like 10% of the movie is like good, funny satire from like a very smart individual who's looking at the world and kind of pointing this comedy a certain way to get you to see something. And the other 90% is just kind of lame, (laughs) just not funny and flat, you know? And it's only 90 minutes and I I had a really hard time staying focused and not uh, wanted to be on my phone uh, for yeah. a lot of this. They, like you said, there are some good guys. For some reason, McDonald Trump makes me. <laughs> makes McDonald me Trump joke. makes me laugh. I don't yeah. know why. The, like, that's not a very smart joke, but it makes me laugh a lot. Right. Um. But but yeah, th- there are a lot of bigger gags, and you know some of them are shocking, but just not. Again, you you know you're in on it. You know it, it's like you couldn't do Blair Witch uh, today. You couldn't sell. Right. You couldn't sell someone on found footage. Uh, any the way you could in 1999, right? Uh, so a lot of the gags don't work. I do think that the the newcomer, uh, which is uh, Maria Maria Bakalova, I just looked yeah. her up. Yeah, probably not how you pronounce it, but that's yeah. yeah. She now she is wonderful, and she really st- like goes toe to or stands toe to toe with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen as Borat. She is equally playing this. Uh, ridiculous character who's this young girl who's completely naive of everything and just kind of goes along with uh, everything that that Borat does uh, and and is in on a lot of the gags and, and on making people incredibly like uncomfortable and uh, you know th- there's been some things in the news actually about it uh, as well so she's actually really good and I, and I think uh, this is her first film um, but I, I think she definitely d- deserves to be in more yeah, um, so we need to talk about her because she's actually yeah, a very central part of the film. She is the conduit through which a, a good chunk of these gags are happening because, again, Sacha Baron Cohen would be pretty much immediately recognized if he showed up to a lot of these situations looking like Borat. So she is who we are following for a chunk of the film and kind of her her experiences, and we get a really interesting look at America um, following a, a kind of spoof female character instead of just male Borat for a change, which is nice. Uh, we're introduced to her in the film. She's living in a, like a barn or like a shack. <laughs> yeah. It's like a lean to outside of like the house at uh, Borat's house where like the my men non, live, my right? His sons, child. right? His sons live in the house, but she lives like in a shack chained to a thing. And there's a whole, whole gag about that, but she looks terrible. Right. And, and, and once they come to America and Borat cooks up this scheme to give her to the president, then he says, well, the president likes blonde women who wear a bunch of makeup. So they go get her a makeover. And then she starts to look more like a normal person, um, obviously dressed up uh, with a ton of makeup and stuff, but um, probably more how she looks in reality, I think. Uh, and she's good in this movie. What I'm concerned about for her uh, as, as an actress is I hope she finds a serious role real soon because it is not easy to act. It is very hard to act in front of people who don't know you're acting. And it's especially difficult to do with a thick accent as this incredibly outlandish character. And she does it really well. What I'm concerned about is nobody's going to take her seriously. 
after this movie because they're going to think she's just kind of a goofy prop comic or something. And like, she totally isn't, it is not easy to do what she's doing here. And she does it standing next to the guy who kind of really got this started in American cinema, Sacha Baron Cohen. And she does a great job. She, she needs to find some, like she needs to find some serious work fast. That's what I'm saying. Well, so she's actually done uh, quite a bit of TV work. Um, Good. So, so she, she, this isn't like her first time in front of the screen and she actually, doesn't look anything like she like you should find some pictures of her oh, she doesn't really? look anything like she does in borat which oh, is oh gosh you're totally right which, <laughs> which is totally which is great i mean it total uh, transformation um i don't think this this film is going to make enough waves like the original borat did for people to really notice and uh yeah while she i, I don't think she's going to be typecast for this film like she, she already has a, a lot of uh on screen uh, tv presence um, she does a pr- pretty great job. Uh, but like I s- said earlier, a lot of this film is, is about feminism, honestly. And it's, you know, like, and it's done through the lens of satire where like, Oh, she's, she's not a male. Like he, he's never referred to, or she's never referred to as Borat's daughter. She's Borat's non-male child. And she lives in the barn outside, you know, right. it's making these, these kinds of uh, statements, you know, they, they, he talks about, Oh, I have to bring you to America and sell you to a man so that you can have, and you know, the, but the thing is they go to these other, like they go to this like Southern etiquette ball and they go to people. Thing. Yeah. yeah. And they go to this thing that's like, Oh, th- this woman will teach you how to be uh, a lady, you know? And so there's, there's all these, uh, you know, in addition to the, to the satire stuff, there are all these real life things that she goes through that are like, I can't believe that that's actually a thing. Yeah. Uh, one, her, her kind of first step towards getting a makeover and getting like the platinum blonde look is they go to an Instagram influencer's house and this, influencer is basically explaining to her like don't be yourself don't don't have wants or aspirations like you you're looking for like a sugar daddy who's going to pay the bills so you can do whatever you want like that's how you should want to live your life and then they go to another place and this woman is explaining to her well here's how you should dress and here's how you should walk and if you do it wrong nobody's going to want you and it's like really twisted um, and it's a really great look at, you know, be, being a woman in America and what society expects of you. And I think that's a fine segue to what is this film saying about America, right? Why why is there a Borat 2? Why now? Why in the middle of a pandemic? The, the <laughs> pandemic, actually, believe it or not, isn't really addressed until like the second half of the film. The first half is played as if everything's fine, which is surprising that they're able to get away with that. But um Everything, everything. I don't know, Andy. What, what do you? What is this movie saying? What's What's the point? Well, like I said, I mean, I, I think that you know, you get your your gags that that he's Sasha Baron Cohen is known for. Uh, like I said, I, I think like you pointed out, like the that meeting with the influencer is totally. Um, it's so ridiculous and you can't believe that that's a real, I mean, that seems like it's made up almost, but, but it's not. So like I said, I, it, I think it's kind of condemning like, uh, kind of kind of this culture that that teaches teaches women you know you have to be blonde and wear all this makeup and walk this way and talk this way and act this way so that a rich man will scoop scoop you up i I mean i think that's kind of the the theme kind of throughout the movie and and they touch on other hot topics like uh, abortion they go to like uh, a a clinic and there's a there's a whole gag about uh abortion with an unsuspecting um pastor (laughs) and and, you know it it's that's it's bringing up uh women women's rights uh, in that way and kind of that's the thread through that kind of goes throughout the film yeah it, it does a fine job of kind of saying hey here's some problems with being a woman in America and kind of growing what the original Borat 
film was while also addressing hey here's 2020 in america and of course hitting the classics like Amer- of, of american ignorance fine fine example i didn't know this till after i saw it um borat throughout the film whenever he's speaking a foreign language is speaking hebrew uh our actress who is his daughter is actually speaking bulgarian and then the leader of kazakhstan is speaking romanian and they're all speaking different languages at each other but we're American and don't know any better because we're uncultured and that's what we think of the world. <laughs> Little things like that, that like even you would miss on your first flyover, right? Like are, are what's happening in this film. This movie is made by a very smart individual. Sacha Baron Cohen's a pretty clever guy. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that's happening here is a bit more subtle than the first film. And I think ultimately that's what's going to make it a bit of a miss. I, I mean, right now it's sitting at what? 67% on Metacritic. It's got like an 80 on Rotten Tomatoes. I think critics like it, but I think people are a bit split on it. And I, I, I find myself in the same spot. So yeah. with that being said, Andy, uh, are you ready for recommendations? I am. Andy, would you recommend Borat's subsequent movie film? maybe <laughs> so uh i think overall actually no if you're not if you are a fan of the original borat and you want to see what he's up to now uh then yeah I, I would say you might want to check it out but um as someone who is a fan of the original borat i had a really hard time kind of staying interested in in this this movie just like i did Re- rebecca i found myself on my phone quite quite a bit there are some good gags and there are is this kind of overall message uh, about like you know what are women expected to be and do in, in modern America? Um, but it, it was tough to get through. If you're not, if you haven't seen the original Borat and you're not, uh, maybe used to this, I would say probably skip. I, I wouldn't recommend this to most people. It's very few. Yeah. I'm in the same boat. If you really like the first one, then you're probably already on board for this and you might've already watched it. Like, so great. You know, I awesome. If you're just kind of mildly interested and you're not really sure or maybe you missed the first Borat, I just encourage you to go watch the first one. It's better. Or if you if you like the first one and you want to see more and you haven't seen uh, Ali G or, or Bruno, which is much more uh, aggressive, um, go see those. Like, I, I, th- I think the original characters are better. I think, I think him returning to this role is timely as far as satire concerns, but I just don't think it's... Nobody, I don't think people are fooled anymore. I think people in the movie are, but I, we're not. And, and ultimately, the audience is who this is for. And uh, it just kind of misses. So that's what I think. It's okay. It, yeah, if you really like the original one, go check it out. But otherwise, you're not missing anything. So that's the show. That's 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 the review. The, the reviews, uh, uh, plural. And, and that's, that's what we're doing. Andy, what are we watching next week? We are taking a break next week because... It's election day. <laughs> it's, it is. Yes. There's going to be is. a lot lot going on. Um, I'm going to a small election get-together myself. Um, I, think, I think you're insane for going to one of those this year. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. but, well, yeah. I went to <laughs> I went to one in 2016, and it was, uh, it was a, a thing, that's for sure. Um, yeah. So, uh, but also, there aren't... Uh, there aren't a whole lot of new releases this week. A lot of times this happens when there's kind of a, a weird crossover at the end of the month. Uh, there's not really anything uh, new coming out that we're looking forward to. Halloween is on Saturday, so that, that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but we'll be back in a couple of weeks uh, with um, some new November films. Yes. Uh, like I said, Andy, I think you're nuts for going to an election party. I, I don't know where I'm going to be uh, on election night. I'm probably going to be... 
I don't know. I wish I could go to a desert island with no TV and internet for the evening. That would be great, but uh, I'm going to be a mess otherwise. Yeah, not a whole lot's coming out. Uh, Normally, we would do a Halloween kind of episode thing, um, but we're going to take off this week. We'll do some Halloween stuff after. I'm excited to, to... for you to find out what we're watching. Um, so between now and then, uh, please go vote. <laughs> if you haven't yet, uh, I've read today. It's too late to turn in mail in ballots unless you're doing it by hand. So if you're mailing in your stuff, go, go drop it off in a ballot box. Otherwise go stand in line, man. It's not so bad. We, we both voted. You voted, right? Yes. All right. Yeah, cool. You voted. I voted. We voted. Go vote. Whatever. Um, and if, if, if you can, if you can, if you can, you know, support the show, vote for us on iTunes by giving us a five-star rating. <laughs> nice it's a segue. worst segue. No, it's bad. <laughs> Don't laugh at that. Uh, yeah, you can you can rate us and review us on iTunes or Google Play or wherever you find your podcast, wherever you're listening to this. I'm sure there's a way. And we encourage you to. That's supporting the show, supporting us, and showing us, hey, you know what? This crazy little podcast you're doing is, is still worth doing. Keep it up, all right? Uh, subscribe to the show wherever you can. iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia. We're around, you know. And you can subscribe to the show so you can get new episodes of Offscript every single Tuesday. Except Tuesdays, we're not doing the show like election night. Please go vote. You can find us on Facebook where we stream the show live every single Tuesday. Uh, we do archive our shows on YouTube as well. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. You can hit us up there. And you can message us on any of these platforms or email us at mail at Offscript Film Review to find out more about what we're doing. And, uh, you know, chime in. Let us know what you thought of Borat or Rebecca. Let us know what you're thinking of the movies coming up or if there's something you want us to watch, something you, you know, recommendation, encouragement. We're happy to take them, happy to listen, happy for feedback, and happy to keep doing the show. With that being said, uh, thanks for listening to Offscript Film Review, the home of Bold Cinema. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.